they're no longer knocking on the door. Instead, they're calling, you know. So I got this phone call. I was looking at it. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird, you know. So I answer the phone, and it was a Jehovah Witness calling. And But the way she started it, I thought it was going to be a political phone call, you know. And she starts, well, what do you think of how the world is and what's going on? And, and so I'm going, you know, I'm listening to her, and I'm thinking, like, okay, if this is a religious call, I will talk to you, and I'm going to pray for your soul, right? But if this is, like, political, it's like, I already know who I'm voting for. I don't have time for this, right? Like, you can try to call somebody else and convince them. So she does her little spiel. I mean, she went on and on for about probably a good 30 seconds to a minute. Of course, it felt like 10 minutes, but it was probably 30 seconds. She gets done, and I'm said, I said, is this, is this call about politics? Because I already know who I'm voting for. <laughs> and she was like, no, no, ma'am, I wanted to talk to you. you know? And it, after a few minutes of co- talking to her, I realized that she was a Jehovah Witness. And so I was like, oh, I love this connection, right? This woman would never let me into her home. Right, but now she's called me, and I just listened to her for a really long time. So right away, and some of you might be like, "Why well, got friends there, Jehovah Witness? Why is Pastor Mary talking about this?" Well, number one, we all know they go and knock on your doors and want to talk to you. So I'm not saying anything bad about this. I'm telling you, this woman called me. Number two, Jehovah Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that you go to heaven because you believe in Him. They believe that he was like a really good man, a prophet that came, and that um, you go to heaven by good works. Okay, so there's a lot of different Christian kind of branched off religions that believe that, that it's good works. Now, my heart is for this woman. This woman has been going to church faithfully. She's doing what she was told to earn her way into heaven because she loves God and wants to go to heaven, right? As a minister of the gospel... My, my job is to make sure that everybody who loves the Lord and wants to go to heaven knows how. So I'm listening to her and letting her tell me everything, and I'm just like, she's talking about heaven. and different, Well, aren't you concerned about, I said, I'm going to heaven because I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, 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 we believe in Jesus. They believe who Jesus is in the Bible, right? But they don't believe he's Messiah. And I said, all we have to do is call on his name, and I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus over you. And she kept wanting to do different things, and I said, I'm going to pray for you. And she told me her first name. So she didn't say yes. She just was, like, on the phone with me. So I began to pray over her. And, you know, at the end, she was like, okay, thank you. And so my, my heart, though, is I was able to connect with somebody through the phone, And I was able to share the gospel with them because that's the topic they brought up as they communicated with me. And so I was able to, you know, pray over her and pray for her salvation and pray that she understands God loves her and that she doesn't have to earn her way into heaven. And so I had this beautiful conversation with her. And it just so happened that a friend was over that day, and she has relatives that are Jehovah Witnesses. And so she was sitting on the couch listening to me do this. And when I got done, she was like, that was so cool. She goes, I'm going to try to remember some of the stuff you said to her. And I just thought it was so funny. You know, thankfully, I'm an extrovert, and I feel comfortable talking to somebody over the phone. But not everybody does, right? For some people, they like to think, right? They want to think about through what they're going to say, and then they'll text it. I have people in my life that they'll text me paragraphs and paragraphs, but when I see them face-to-face and try to bring up the same topic, they don't want to talk about it. Why is that, right? Because they don't feel comfortable on the spot talking about something. They want to think it through. They want to 
make sure that their word choices are right so they're able to text. I get that. So this is just a good way for us to start this conversation about prayer by saying, who are you? Are you the type of person that would rather call? Or are you the type of person that would rather text? And this is important because when we pray and when we talk to God, I talk to people and they'll say, I don't know how to pray, Mary. Right? I'll, we'll be at an event and they'll be like, I, I don't want, I, I, don't put me on the spot to pray. I don't want to pray. Right? I've been with some people, we've been on staff at churches and we were told, like, we're all going to this event and everyone's going to say a prayer. And usually what happens when we show up, half of the people have written out their prayer ahead of time, right? Because they wanted to think it through. What am I going to say to God? And the other half, like me, are like, mm, I'm just going to, all right, Lord, let's pray. You know, like we're just going to say what's on our heart in that moment. And that's okay. God made us different because we are made in his image. I have to remind people at Christmas time when I put the, you know, the, the black angels on the Christmas trees, I tried to look online to see if I can find like Hispanic ones and, um, you know, uh, Asian, Asian ones and different, you know, ethnicities of angels. And I've had people at my house even make comments about, about the different ethnicities, you know, I put on the Christmas tree. And they'll be like, why, why do you have a black angel on your Christmas tree? What's funny is, like, when I have parties, Christmas parties for the kids when the kids were little, the kids never said anything. They thought, they thought everything was fine. The adults would always say something. And I'd look at the person, and I'd be like, what makes you think that angels are white? I said, I said, you know, people are made in God's image, and we are black, and we are white, and we are brown, and we're all different. We look different. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. I said, God is not white. I said, you know, God is all all things. I said, don't you think the angels are kind of made in his image, that there's like all kinds of angels out there? Why? Because we are made in his image. One of us cannot represent God fully. I can't be organized and an extrovert and intelligent and this and sing and be creative and be artistic. I can't be all those things. So God gave me one part of him. I'm able to speak. And I have a love for the word. But now Jesse, Jesse is able to paint and to draw and to write, right? And then look at, you know, Pastor Nicole. She's able to play an instrument and, you know, play a different instrument and to sing. And, and then, you know, look at um, Todd, my husband. He's able to go down to his workshop and create something with his hands and to be able to be technical in his office. And why? Because he's made in God's image. And she's made in God's image, and I'm made in God's image. And God can do all things. But I can't represent him because I'm only human. I only represent him in one little part. So when we all come together and I say, this is how we pray, I am not going to pray the same way you pray. I'm not going to be able to connect to people the same way you connect to people. Why? Because we are different, but that doesn't mean our differences are bad. It just means that we represent God in a different way. And so we do things a little bit different. And so I'll have people say to me, I can't pray like you do, Pastor Mary. You weren't meant to. God didn't create you the same way he created me. Why? Because you represent a different part of him. I re represent one part, and you represent a different part. But that doesn't mean one part is bad and one part is good. And when we understand that our way of doing things is a representation of God, and I'm made in his image, and I can love the fact that I am like this, 
then I'm more likely to embrace it and to use that gift that he's given me. All right? So we connect with people a lot of times through our phones, right? We call or we text. And so how do we pray to God? Sometimes we call him up. Sometimes we text him, right? And sometimes we do both, right? Just because I prefer talking to somebody, I prefer talking to somebody face-to-face. I will talk to them over the phone, right? I will text them if they would prefer texting. I can do both. But I do have a preference, right? So you can do both, but you definitely have a preference. So when we pray, we can literally talk to God. We can talk to him out loud. We can talk to him silently in our head. Or we can write to him. Now, some people are like, how in the world do you write to God? (laughs) Do you have a P.O. box? Right? Well, I do my writing in a journal. Like, I just... I don't, it's nothing special. You go to the dollar store and get a notebook, you know, and I just write down my prayers. Now, some people are always concerned about, like, well, what if somebody else reads it? My prayers to God are private. Well, you can throw them away when you're done. You can burn them. You can just hide them. I just, you know, have trust within my family that these are my journals, my prayer journals. Please don't touch them. Please don't read them. And they all respect that. However, I have discovered the only person I have to be concerned about whether or not he'll ever open it is my husband, Todd. Now, you would think kids, they're kind of nosy. They're in that age, teenager, pre-teenage. I mean, they read everything and look everything. They can't read my writing because I write in cursive. <laughs> so I don't even have to worry about, like, hiding my journal. I could write in there, my kids, blah, 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 God, you better fix them, blah, blah, blah. They'll never know. <laughs> Even though they say they're learning cursive at school, they type everything up now. They're not, like, practicing it. They're not reading it. And so, and I discovered this one time when I went to go write them each a love letter. It was, like, Christmas time or something. Maybe it was Valentine's. I don't know. And I wrote them out this really pretty letter, you know, and I handed them out. And all the kids, like, open them. Oh, thanks, Mom. And they all kind of set them aside. And I'm like, aren't you guys going to sit and read it? And then they're all like, "We, we can't read your handwriting. So... It might be part of it because I have messy handwriting, but I think it's mainly because it's cursive. So, so yeah, if you've got kids at home, you're worried about them reading, writing cursive. They'll never know, right? I have friends that they will email God. So what they'll do is they'll set up like a, an extra Yahoo account or a Google account or something, email address. And then um, what they'll do is on their regular email account that they normally use, they'll just subject it, you know, hey, God. And then they'll type out their prayers every morning. They'll get up, they'll type out their prayers, they hit send, and they feel like, okay, it's there. Like, this is my prayer journal. This is what I'm asking God for. And I've physically typed it all out and sent it. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I want you to try something new if what you've been currently doing isn't been consistent or isn't working. If you say, like, well, I don't really know what to say or I don't know what to do, or, well, then try something different right? Try a prayer journal and having a set time every day where you write out your prayers. What's really cool for me, anyhow, is I've been doing this for years. And I remember one time God was like, why don't you go back and reread some of your prayers? And so I just randomly grabbed one of my notebooks and I happened to open it up. This wasn't random, right? It was God. I opened it up and I started reading through what I had been praying for. And it had been like maybe six years earlier. And I realized that God had answered almost every single one of those prayers throughout the last six years. And that really, like, energized my faith, right? It was like, 
wow, like six years ago, I was talking to him about this, and I was talking about this, and I was talking about this. And, you know, I can see now, looking back, how he moved in our lives and those prayers came to be. So it's really cool for sometimes for you to have that record. But God hears you if you just talk to him, right? Like, I talk to my husband, but I also will write down notes, honey-do list, or do whatever. Guess what? It doesn't matter if I write to him or if I talk to him. We've still connected. We've still communicated. And God wants us to have that connection, all right? So, but remember when cell phones first came out, how difficult it was for some of us to learn how to use them and... Um, you know, it was kind of frustrating. I remember living in northern Michigan, and there were times where you didn't have service, right? I, I don't know if our kids will ever experience this, but literally across it, it would just say, no service, right? And you'd be like, your phone was useless, right? It was just like a brick, you know? It was like, this just does me no good. I can't call anybody. I can't do anything. And we would have those commercials. I don't know if kids probably don't even know what commercials are now, but You'd have those commercials on TV where there'd be that really annoying guy, and he'd be walking around, and he'd be like, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Right? And he was, like, advertising that they had more service areas than others. And see, sometimes Satan wants us to believe God's not hearing you, so why waste your time? Right? And how does he usually convince us that God's not hearing us? Well, for some people, it's, why would God listen to you? You're a sinner, right? He does this like guilt or he does this shame. And we see here in Psalms 32, starting in verse 5, how this, you know, author here, David, you know, is going to God and he's like, look, I know I have sinned, but I know you forgive me. And I love this. It says here in verse 5, then I acknowledge my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, I love that word, therefore. We don't ever use, I don't use that in conversation. Do any of you ever say therefore? I don't. Oh, so, some people do. Um, I don't ever say it, but because I start off my prayer time by just confessing and knowing you've forgiven me, Therefore, because I have cleared myself up, I know I can feel good, I come to your presence. I love how he talks about his transgressions, which those are your like one-time sins, and your iniquities are the ones you're struggling with. Like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm still struggling. It's become this bad habit in my life, right? He says, I'm not covering up my iniquities. I love that. He's like, no, no, I, I'm still doing this over here, but I come to you and you forgive me. He says, therefore... Because we come to him first and we're open, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I love that. Now, David, he had a lot of sin and he had a lot of iniquities, right? We, we, could, talk, we could spend a whole service talking about his sexual sin, and, uh, you know, his, his, all the different things he did. Now, does that mean that he was, you know, God couldn't use him? No, God used him. Does that mean God couldn't bless him? No, God blessed him. Does that mean God, you know, couldn't put him in a place of leadership? No, he, he led, the, the, led the children of Israel. Well, why did God use such a sinner? Guess what, folks? Each and every single one of us is a sinner. 
If God didn't use people who sinned, he would have nobody to use. If God didn't bless people who sinned, he wouldn't bless anybody. If God didn't freely give his love to people who were screwing up and had iniquities they were still struggling with, he wouldn't love anybody. See, his love and his blessings and his using us in leadership has nothing to do with our sin. And we don't even, like, earn salvation because we are not sinning. We're saved because we believe in Jesus. Well, then what's the point? I'll just sin and do whatever I want. You, you can do that. You can do that. You can still go to heaven. But guess what's going to happen? Your earthly consequences of your earthly sin are going to affect you while you're here on earth. That's why, why does God tell us, don't murder, right? Because then other people are going to come back and kill you, right? Why does he say, don't do this, don't do this? If you look through the Old Testament when the law was first given, majority of it was about your body. Like, don't eat raw meat. Don't eat pork. Don't, you know, there was always these things, all these different laws. And what we would understand is I'm sinning had to do with how it affected you here on earth, or how it affected you while you're interacting with other people, or how it affected you talking to God, right? Honor the Lord your God. Worship only him, right? Keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That one affects your body, too, because, you know, they would have just worked seven days a week. They would have made all their slaves work seven days a week. They would have made all their servants work, their kids work seven days a week, and we know our bodies need a day of rest, so when we look at the sin issue and Satan tries to convince us God's not going to hear your prayers because you're a sinner, number one, you need to remind Satan, God hears my prayers because I am his child and I believe in him, not because I am clean. But if it is, there is some guilt on you, if there is some Holy Spirit conviction or something going on, just start your prayer off with, hey, God, I did this. Hey, here's my iniquities. I'm still struggling with it. Why don't you, and, you know, it's okay to say, hey, help me with this if it's something you want to stop doing. Because the earthly consequence of what I've been doing here on earth is not good. And then be faithful in prayer. It says, therefore, then let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from the trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. See, God wants us to pray to him. Now, I want to share with all of you a story from the Old Testament. And it's about making a priority and being faithful to pray. Probably most of you have heard this story before. It's about Daniel. Of course, Daniel in the lion's den. If you remember anything from, from uh, Sunday school, you just remember a man being thrown in with lions and he survived. Right? That's, that's pretty much all we re remember. But there's a little bit more to the story, so let me just give you the back, back story real quick, and then we'll read through what happened here. But So the uh, King David, you know, he ruled, and then his son Solomon ruled. And when Solomon was in charge, they were super blessed. They had a lot of wealth, and a lot of people from different kingdoms came and saw all the wealth. Well, what happens when your neighbor, right, sees that you have gold and diamonds sitting on every counter, all of a sudden, one day, when they need some extra money, they might come in and rob you, right? Well, the neighbors of Israel had remembered seeing all the wealth that Israel had. And so when they got to a point where their army was big enough, they said, we're going to go into Israel, and we're going to steal from Israel. And so they did. So this was the time when 
The temple was destroyed, the, the walls in Jerusalem were destroyed, everything was plundered, all of their gold, their wealth, and their temple, everything was taken. And, but what was weird is back in this time, so this would be, I don't know, probably about 1,000 AD before Christ, 1,000 years before Christ came on the scene, the people, when they would go and they would invade another country, they wouldn't just take all the wealth, kill everybody, and leave. They would take all the young girls and use them as slaves, and they would take any of the royal advisors that helped run the government, and they would take them and they would bring them to their palaces, and they would have a certain area that was just for all the wise men, and they would help be advisors and officials. And so, you know, they didn't have like public schools and universities, so each government would kind of have a select young people that they kind of had picked that were super wise and they would teach them all these different things and they would understand how things worked. So when you would go into a country and steal from them, you wanted these, these educated men to be a part of your advisors, okay? So this happened to Israel. Israel, the Babylonians came through and then they kind of got taken over by the Persians and there's a whole history there. But what we find is this man named Daniel was an Israelite that was very wise and was part of the ones that kind of helped run the government, was super smart, and he had, was taken when everything was plundered. And now he's in this foreign country. Now, he has decided there's nothing he can do, so he's going to cooperate with this government, live in the house the king gives him, give this guy advice, and just serve this government. But because his heart is for the Lord... He still practices his Judaism in this country, all right? And up to that point, he was allowed to do, you know, pray to Jehovah and do whatever. But when I call you into the kingdom and ask you your advice about this famine, or I ask you this advice about this new battle that we're going to go to, you give me your advice. So he would cooperate, right? He did everything he was supposed to do. But in his heart, he was a Jewish man that loved Jehovah, Okay? And so as you read through the book of Daniel, he does a, I mean, he's an educated guy. He did a great job describing what happened and how they got taken and what happened the first few weeks they were there. It's really cool. It's really cool historically to find out what was going on. But we get to a point with Daniel where he has just given such great advice. He's so intelligent. The king trusts everything he says. He's a man of integrity that he is being placed in charge of all the advisors. So they've got hundreds of different advisors, like this guy runs this area, this runs this area, this area, but he's, but, and they have just three of them that kind of run the different divisions. But Daniel is so exceptional that the king has made the decision he's going to put him in charge of everybody. So it's the king, then Daniel, then the rest of the advisors. And the rest of the other advisors don't like this. And they're upset, and they're like, we got to find a way to discredit this guy. So they start looking into all of his decisions. They start looking into his finances. They start looking into his household. They're interviewing old people that worked for him. Hey, did he ever do this? Did he ever do this? They're looking into this guy, and they can find nothing wrong with him. They can find no fault that they can bring up to the king. And so they're like, dang it, we, there's nothing we can do. And one of them says, the only way we can trap Daniel is if we somehow try to tell him he can't practice his Jewish faith to his God, Jehovah. Because that's the only thing that he would disobey the king over, isn't it? And they all agree. 
So they get all excited, and they try to think of a plan, and they go to the king, and they say, King, I know, we have a great idea. You're so magnificent. You're so wonderful. You're the ruler of the entire world. Your kingdom has just taken over everything. We think that we should dedicate a whole month to you, wonderful king. And, of course, what does every king do with his advisors telling him he's awesome? They're like, yeah, I am. This is going to be awesome. A month just for me. They said, yeah, yeah, let's decree that for this entire month, nobody can pray to anybody but you. So when they're in their room and they are got to pray and they got problems, they're going to be talking to you, dear king, because you're just like a god. And he's like, yeah, all right. So he signs into law a decree that for the next 30 days, you cannot pray to any other gods. Because he's taken over lots of different countries, right? So there's different gods that people pray to. You can't pray to anybody but him. So they did this to trap Daniel. And if anybody gets caught doing that, they're going to get thrown in with the lions. So he signs off on that. So the next day, Daniel hears about it. All right? So it starts here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So here is a man that has just been told, for the next 30 days, just keep your mouth shut. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. And he could have went up to his room and kept the windows shut and talked to God. I don't know about you, but I don't open my windows when I pray. I mean, Jesus came, and now i got the Holy Spirit in me. I don't have to, you know, wonder where his presence is in the, in the temple in Jerusalem anymore because his presence is with me now. But this is a time, right, when God's holy presence would have been in the Ark of the Covenant. And even though the temple was destroyed, he knew that, that that's where God's presence was, was in Jerusalem. No, Daniel didn't care what culture said to do, what his safety was. He was faithful, just as he had done before. Every day, he would go, and three different times throughout the day, he would open up his window so his prayers could go directly to where he knew God's presence was, and he prayed. So it says that he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Well, then, they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decrees you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. So the king is trying everything he can to help his friend. 
he liked Daniel. His Daniel's decisions were great, and he wanted to make him in charge of everything. He didn't even think about Daniel and his faith. Why? Because when Daniel probably talked to him, he probably didn't make a big deal about it. He probably came into work and was a good man, and then at home, he opened his windows and he prayed. See, some people are like, I don't want to get too religious, Mary, because people are going to think I'm nuts. You can be a good person without, like, talking about God and making a big deal about it every single day and annoying people if they don't want to hear it. But why not be such a great person that when they're in distress, they want to know, they want to come to you, they want to talk to you? Daniel's king, his boss, didn't even think about Daniel when he made that decree. But he knew he was a good man. Well, now he's about to find out, right? What these guys thought they were going to do to, like, harm Daniel ends up showing the king how powerful this God is. So it says that he tried all day to try to figure out what to do, but he couldn't help him. Then the men went as a group to the king, King Darius, and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. I find this so interesting. He thought he was all that in the bag of chips that they shall pray to him. But then yet when his, one of his best friends is in problem, he, he's not powerful enough to save him. The king didn't say, I'm going to come down in the lion's den with you, Daniel. I'm going to bring my sword. I'm going to fight the lions for you. I mean, the decree was he had to go down the lion's den. Didn't say. King couldn't go with him. But that king wasn't powerful enough to fight those lions for Daniel. So at the end of the day, he had to say, I hope your God can save you. See, this is what prayer is all about, folks. When I get down and pray, I don't say, Lord Jesus, please do my dishes. When I wake up in the morning, may my bathroom toilet be scrubbed. Why? Because those are things I can do, that I have the ability to do. So what do I pray? Lord Jesus, please watch over my children when I cannot be with them. Keep them safe, healthy, and strong. Lord Jesus, please be with my relative who's battling cancer. Shrink the tumors and bring relief to them. Why? I can't do those things. So I don't go and I don't pray to God and ask him to do the things that I can do. I go to God and I pray for the things that I can't do that I know only he can do. So many of us are afraid to pray big prayers. Well, God, Mary, what if he doesn't do it that way? Well, sometimes he does things different, right? Haven't your kids ever asked you for something and you were like, oh, okay, right? Maybe they're asking for something, but you know in your heart that in two months for their birthday, they're going to get something even better. Sometimes you want them to be patient. Sometimes you need to make things wait. So I ask God for everything. When I read through those journals... They had been six years before. Some of those things happened within the month I prayed it, and some of them didn't happen for three years. But guess what? God still came through on his timing. That's what the Bible says that our ways are not his ways. Our timing is not his timing. But I'm still going to ask. You have not because you ask not. Jesus was so clear when they came to him and said, teach us how to pray. He taught them the Our Father prayer, which is huge. It was huge at that time to be able to address God as your father. But the second thing he did is after he gave him like an outline of things you should be asking him for on a regular basis, he said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. 
Knock and the door will be open to you. When I pray, I first ask him whether I'm writing it down or I'm talking to him. And then second, I got to seek it out. What do you mean I got to go seek it out? You're supposed to just put it on my doorstep. No, he's saying ask me and then go seek out the answers you're looking for. And then go knock on the doors after you've discovered what's out there. You know, and I know this is one is a simplistic way of saying it, but I always show people, if you're praying and asking God for a job, that's great. Now seek out what jobs are available right now. Okay, retail, food industry, schools, medical. Those places are always hiring. Most of the time they have good benefits. Not retail or restaurants, but school and medical do. Okay, now you know your options. You seeked it out. You know which directions they are. God says, look, you pick your path, and then I will direct your steps. So a lot of times we pray, you know, be specific. Go seek out. Like, okay, Lord, I really need a job. Okay, I will direct your steps, but what path are you going to pick? There's 100 jobs out there. Go seek it out. Figure it out. Now go, okay, I narrowed it down, Lord. I want to work in the medical field. All right? Go knock on those doors in the medical field. Go apply to this place, this place, and this place. And then pray that I will open up the doors for the ones that are the best ones for you. Right? Prayer is not only connecting with God, but then working with God to have those answers come through. Right? Sometimes it's hard for us because we don't even know where to start. I have literally prayed at times, okay, Lord, I've been asking you for this for a while now. Nothing's been happening. Please show me if there's something I need to be doing. And then it might just be random. Like three or four days later, I might see something on Facebook where somebody posts something where it's like, oh, wow, that's the start of what I want. And this person's offering to help, right? Or it might be a conversation I have with somebody else or you just, you don't know. But don't be afraid to ask God to come together with you on that. What I love about the situation here with Daniel was that the king who thought he was as powerful as a god came to the conclusion that we need your God to intercede. And that's what prayer is about. You ask God to do the things you cannot do. You do your best, right? You go seek out, you go knock. You do your best, but then you're trusting God to do the rest. So let's finish the story here. It says that Daniel, the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. This was to guarantee that nobody in the middle of the night rolled the stone away, got him out, and then just put him back in the morning. No, he was sealed in there. He couldn't come out all night. The punishment was spend all night with the lions. Didn't say that be eaten with the lions. He just had to spend the night with them. It says, then the king returned to the palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Mm, I've had a few sleepless nights over some of you here. <laughs> just being honest, right? There's been a few nights where I'm like, Lord, please help this situation. I don't know what to do. And that king had a sleepless night. He was like, I don't know what to do. So all night, he could not sleep. At the 
first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. It's not Daniel, royal advisor to the king. All of a sudden, the king is starting to realize that that's not his highest calling. His highest calling is not his job. His highest calling is who he serves that's the highest power, and it is God. Your title is not, right, Todd, business owner right here in town, right? Your, your highest calling is Todd, servant of the most high God, right? My highest title isn't Mary, pastor of the Great Lakes Dream Center. No, it's Mary, servant of the most high God, because that is the most important thing I do. So the king is acknowledging this. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, right? This isn't some dead thing, some idol that he worships. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, that was the most I was going to read to you, but I'll tell you that. The guys that went to the king and convinced him to do that, that uh, decree, he took them, their wives, their children, all of them. That's sad, but that's what happened. And he threw them in that, that lion's den. Because he thought, well, the lions just weren't hungry. It won't do anything to them. No, the lions were hungry. And it says it ripped them all apart and killed them all. The lions killed them all. So we know that this wasn't just, well, they were fed all the time. They were kept captive. No, they, they were hungry lions. What I love about this, did you notice this? It says, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. We don't have time today, but I could do a whole service about God's angels, right, and how they're servants of God. And when we ask him for things, how, like, they'll sometimes be the ones sent to help us. Um, there's another passage in, in the book of Daniel where Daniel went to God and he was praying about something, and nothing happened. And, like, 20-some days went by, and so he was praying to God again about that same situation. And God's like, I already sent an angel to deal with this. What is going on? And it says they sent another angel to go deal with it, and the angel was in a spiritual battle with a, the, a demon that was over this certain region. And so when he sent the second angel, that angel helped the first angel that was sent, and then those angels were able to go and help Daniel. When you read through the book of Daniel, it really kind of illustrates the power of our prayer and how when we pray, then God releases angels to come help us. Now, I know people say all the time, why doesn't God just release angels to help us all the time? Why do I have to ask for it? Well, it's, you know, it's kind of like the hospital here in town. I was sick last week. Why didn't they send a nurse to my house to take care of me? Why didn't they do that? They, didn't they know I was sick? Well, you have to ask for help, right? Now, obviously, God knows, and he could do that, but God is a gentleman, and he says you have to ask. Jesus says it so clearly. You have to ask. You have to ask. So when you ask, then those angels and those helpers are deployed. So like when I pray over my children, again, I don't pray, Lord, send an angel to, to do my dishes tonight. I've never prayed that, nor will I. Why? Because I'm able to do that. I'm not asking God to do things I'm able to do, right? But 
when I pray, Lord, keep my children safe while they're at school, I have literally prayed, Lord, please send an angel to my children's school. May the angel be visible and look like a police officer in front of my children's school if a bad person comes in with like a weapon and is going to try to harm somebody. May they be scared by the presence of the police and drive away. Lord, please, if in the middle of the day something happens and there's bad people around my children, may an angel manifest and get between them and the bad guy. Now, you might think this is, you know, weird or silly, but hello, God sent Daniel an angel to stop the lions from eating him. Why can't I ask for an angel to stop my children from being harmed? Well, Mary, he probably loved Daniel more than your children. No, he doesn't. He loves my children just as much as he loved Daniel. And so I need to ask, right? I need to say, Lord, please, please intercede in our lives. So these moments, as we read through, and there's so many spots in here we could read about prayer, but I want to end in the book of John. If you read through chapters like 14, 15, 16, all the way up to the end of, end of uh, the book of John, you're really hearing the last words of Jesus before he went to the cross. And he's really trying to teach the disciples a lot before he goes. And one of the things he's talking to them about is how they can pray. You know, because up until that point, they could just talk to him directly, and he'd go over and lay hands, and the person would be healed, or the bread would come, or the miracle would happen, right? Lord, I need money for the temple tax. Well, go do this, and, you know, they'd find a coin. Well, you know, Jesus, I need that. I'll go do this, and this would happen. So now he's telling them, look, I'm going to go, and I'm not going to be with you physically every day anymore. So now, when you can pray, you get to go directly to the Father. And so it says here in John chapter 16, starting in verse 23, he says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything in the day of him being gone, right? Him going up to heaven. Truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, why is this important? Most of us don't know how to ask God. Now, is he mad at you if you are praying to Jesus? No, he's not mad at you. But Jesus didn't say to pray to him. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I'm just being clear. Jesus said... You pray to the Father directly. He is going to hear your prayer, and you are going to receive what you ask for if you pray in my name. The, our, how do we pray, Jesus? You pray, our Father. What is he trying to teach these disciples? Look, I'm the Messiah. I'm part of God that came down to die on the cross your sins. I'm the physical representation of God. But because I did this, now you can go directly to the Father. The Father He's the one that is up there that I serve. And I want you to talk to him directly and just say, in the name of Jesus, Father, I come to you in prayer. And because you've prayed in my name, the Father will then direct those angels. The Father will then send that power of healing. Now, does God not hear me if I pray to Jesus? A lot of people pray to Jesus. And I think that God understands their heart if that's all they know, that they're, they're reaching out to God. 
And for most of us, we feel more comfortable talking to Jesus because it's something we can see a picture that we believe was Jesus. We can read the stories of how loving he was and how kind he was. And so we want to be connected with that loving guy that we see as a big brother. I get that. That's not what Jesus told us to do. (laughs) So because we are hearing this message and now that we are educated, today can start a new day for you in prayer. Number one, be like Daniel. Be faithful and doing it every single day. Talk to him every single day. When your children lived in your house or when you lived in a home with your parents or with a spouse, you didn't go a day without talking to them, did you? I mean, maybe you had silent treatment and you were really, really stubborn, but that day did not feel good. Don't tell me it didn't, because it doesn't feel good when you're ignoring somebody and refuse to talk to them. Well, now that Jesus has come and his Holy Spirit has been released, he lives in your heart and he's with you every single day. You can talk to the Father every single day. He's just, it's so simple. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm asking you for this. Don't be afraid to be specific about the things that you can't do that are bothering you, that are affecting your children or your family members or your neighbors or yourself. It's okay to pray for yourself. Satan has tried to come into our Christian system years ago and convince all of us that, I don't pray for myself, I only pray for others, and then God's going to hear, want to bless me because of that. I've talked to so many people, they always say, well, I don't pray for myself, but I will pray for others, Mary. Well, what kind of load of crock did Satan put in your head when you were little? Like, who, who taught that one? Jesus is pretty clear. Ask. The, our father prayer wasn't, oh, I'm going to pray for my neighbor. I'm going to pray for my kids, and I'm not going to pray for myself. No. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me my daily bread, right? Help me. Forgive me. Protect me from evil, Right? Lead me from temptation and deliver me. For thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. Amen. It's okay to pray for yourself. Jesus told you to pray. Pray you're not tempted because you're going to be. Pray God leads you away from evil because evil's coming for you. Pray that you can forgive others because that is really hard and you're going to want to be angry. Pray that you have blessings and food and the resources that you need. Because sometimes they're hard to come by. It's okay to pray for yourself. Obviously pray for others as well. I, however, in this moment, I'm going to pray for all of you. That you are blessed. And that this message comes into your life and transforms it. That you will become faithful. Maybe you'll be like Daniel and you'll set some alarms in your phone. And three times a day you'll try to be faithful about praying. For some of you, you're going to be like the... The Apostle Paul, who said, pray without ceasing. It doesn't have to be a certain number of days. Maybe all day you're praying. And in your head, you're constantly talking to God. Obviously, I got one of those minds that doesn't stop, and I'm kind of, so a lot of times I'm just praying, right? I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? I'll just pray. Something will remind me of somebody or situations going on. And obviously, I have a lot of lists, and I got reminders. But sometimes I just, you know, I'm praying about whatever. Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for giving us the permission to just talk to you directly. You are our Father. You are loving and you are gracious. And just like 
a good earthly father, you provide for us and you protect us. Oh, I thank you for sending Jesus so that we can have that privilege, that we can simply say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I pray and I ask you for help, specifically for all of those that are listening to this message. Bless them, Father God. Bless them with wisdom and favor and prosperity. Help them, Father God. Help them to come to you with a grateful heart as they pray. Hear their prayers, answer their prayers, and be with them. Watch over them. Give them your peace, give them your joy. Forgive them and cleanse them so they do not feel guilt or shame, but they know they can come to you at any time with an open heart and you will answer their prayers. Give them wisdom. May you surround them with your angels, just as Daniel had an angel to protect him. Protect them, Father God. I just assign an additional five angels for every single person hearing this message that says amen at the end of this prayer because they are in agreement that they want those extra angels around them. May those angels manifest just as the angel did with Daniel if there's any harm that comes near them to protect them, to scare off the evil one, to defend them. And Father God, I ask you to bring prosperity to their life. Give them wisdom if there's areas in their life where they need to do something different. Give them favor if people around them need to do something different. Open up doors of opportunity and encourage them if they need to take on different roles in their life or different opportunities to bring that prosperity into their life. Help them with their relationships, Father God. Bring those into their life that are meant to be into their lives. And take away those that are not good for them, Father God. Help them and watch over them in all that they do and remind them how good it is to just ask for help, to tell you about our day, and to share our life with you on a regular basis. May they connect with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful day. I hope you connect with God this week. And we will be here next Sunday. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Remember, tonight at 6 o'clock is the big game party. If you are interested, um, feel free to join Eric and Jesse there. Thank you.